Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week's episode, we have Justin and Lauren. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of LaGrange Point, where we'll be talking about some odd and interesting science to do with the brain and all the weird and wonderful things it can trick you with, including ghosts, believe it or not, soccer players and World Cup fouls, smart drugs that may or may not help you, and understanding why you cry when you're happy, and the healing power of jazz music. If there's something weird that doesn't look good, or something odd in your neighbourhood, and your brain just can't get around the fact that there's just a presence there haunting you, you're not near a phone, so you can't call Ghostbusters, what can you do to actually understand what's going on? And is there a way we can actually figure out this using science, not just 80s movies? Really? I, I, oh, you can do better. Come on. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Thank you for that intro, Justin. Um... <laughs> So to figure out, we're not going to call um, Ghostbusters, who we're actually going to call is neuroscientists. Well, that makes sense. They're in charge of the brain. So uh, is it because ghosts are after my brain? No, I thought that's what zombies were eating. I'm, Lauren, you have me confused. I don't understand my mythologies anymore. Well, actually, we found out that ghosts actually exist in the brain. Wow. Hang on. They're haunting the insides of our skulls? That's that's completely meta, man. I haven't heard of like ghosts haunting the inside of your brain. That's That's kind of crazy. Well, you've heard of being, like, possessed by ghosts, but that's that's a different conversation for, like, a different time as to what being possessed by a ghost actually means. Tune into our B-sides to find out more. <laughs> okay. So, when I'm talking about ghosts existing in the mind, what scientists have actually found is the sensing of another presence actually has to do with a disruption in a certain part of the brain. So, this is the kind of unnerving feeling that you get that something's not right or something's weird? Kind of, um, it's been experienced by people like mountain climbers and stuff while they've been climbing mountains and they've sensed like, rather than someone, just one person walking behind them, they've sensed like two people walking behind them, you know, that feeling that someone's watching you or, um, that there's more people that, than there are, or like when you close your eyes and you can feel like someone else there in the room with you. Or like when you're sleeping at night and you stick your leg out of the blanket and then you terrify no. This is a terrible idea. Everything will eat you. I just gotten over those nightmares. Thank you very much. Okay, so what's actually going on inside the brain that's causing this uh, this weird response? That's obviously pretty widespread and quite common amongst all different people in different places and times. So researchers in Switzerland have actually found out um, through a bunch of different tests that the part of the brain that has to do with sensing these other presences is actually um, a part of the brain called the sensory motor part of the brain. Um, That's not the scientific name, but I can't pronounce the scientific name. That makes sense. So it's basically the sense engine inside your brain that's in charge of managing all your different senses. Pretty much. And this specific area has to do with figuring out which part of those senses is self. For example, like you touching your finger um, and like your place in the world and what actions are caused by you. Right, so that's kind of like, um, it, for example, if you've uh, if your arm has pins and needles and it feels a bit numb, you, you can't actually feel where it necessarily is, mm-hmm. and then, then if that touches you, you flip out because you're like, well, what, why why is there something touching me? That that's weird. Oh wait, that's my own arm. Right, okay. So having those yeah disruptions in that area of the brain can lead to you thinking that it's someone else 
um, your brain pretty much categorizes it as other than self, so like someone else. Right, so it sort of has a has a kind of breakdown that goes, everything that I know about, it's fine, don't flip out about that, that's totally normal. And if, if it falls outside that category, it's like, flip out, guys, weird thing is touching you, we don't know what it is. Pretty much. They've actually found um, that in some neuro disorders, so, such as schizophrenia and other neurological disorders, which actually have disruptances in the certain parts of the brain that have to do with these sensory motor brain signals. That's really fascinating. So how do they actually test and really explore this? Because obviously it's kind of hard to really conduct something rigorous and really repeatable um, using a, a standard method. So what they did, <laughs> what the researchers in Switzerland did, was they actually generated a ghost using a um, robot. Wait, they made a robot ghost? But robots don't have souls, Lauren. This is clearly messing with, like, pillars of established canon. You can't just cross the streams like that. We can definitely cross the streams like that since the participants weren't exactly sure what was happening during the experiment. <laughs> okay, so what, what actually did they do with these ghost robots, GoBots? Okay, so with the GoBots, as we have now dubbed them, um, what they did was they set them up so that first you would sit there blindfolded and you would have your finger attached to part of the robot. The rest of the robot would be behind you and it would be shaped like a finger and it would mimic what you would do. So if you moved your finger forward, it would move its finger forward so it touched you in the back. Right, okay. So originally, um, when they tried this, they did it at the same time. So like, as you moved your finger, the robot moved. And it meant that the brain adapted so that it, th it understood that the robot moving was in response to you moving your finger. Right. So it's like, okay, well, obviously this is caused by me moving. So relax, guys. Like, if you're leaning uh, up against something or pushing something, like a large box, if that, the force that the box is asserting back on you, your brain just goes, it's cool, you don't need to flip out about that. I made that happen. It's me just treated as part of me it's okay so kind of acknowledged it it was like as self yeah however for the second part what they did was they stuck the robot on a delay so when the finger when you moved your finger and then brought it back you waited like the span of i think it was two minutes before the robot finger moved so this random thing was poking you in the back and you had no idea what was going on because there'd been such delay that your brain didn't associate it as a response to you moving your finger. So it was kind of like an alien, not an alien, a ghost tapping you on the back. That's really amazing though, because it's not so much the fact that a thing randomly tapping you on the back is scary is because, okay, that's fine. That's really easy to understand. That's mm -hmm. weird. It's more amazing the fact that they actually managed to trick you into recognizing the initial robot movement as part of yourself. So they then got you to recognize the robot as part of you and then forget later that's really fascinating exploration of like the way our brain adapts to the world things around us so to like to reassure us that um what they were doing was creating like a presence like a ghost type presence what the researchers did was the participants hadn't really been told what the experiment's true purpose was so <laughs> after a few minutes of um this dissociated touching 
um, the researchers asked the participants what they felt, and all of the participants actually responded with saying that they could feel a presence. Some of them said there were even up to like four ghosts they felt like were in the room. But that's amazing, especially for the study which wasn't really clear about what they were supposed to be testing in the first place. <laughs> so, so it was clear that this is what, like, by you doing this experiment, they were creating the sense of like a present of like a non-self there. Yeah, and that just goes to show some of the really interesting ways that our brain adapts to things that we use and treats as part of ourselves, but also the way it handles things that aren't part of itself and could go a long way to explaining some of the neurological conditions that impair people with things like schizophrenia. So Justin, I just finished all of my exams and now I'm really dead, but while I was studying for them, I kept seeing all these things popping up on my laptop, like YouTube and stuff, that were like trying to sell me things like smart pills and different studying techniques and juice that was supposed to like enhance my learning abilities. And I just want to know, is are any of these going to help me? Can I go and find some smart pills to just like make me smart for only exams or my entire life? Actually, my entire life would be much better. It would be much better to be smart permanently than as a smart, smart in peaks. And we have tackled this subject many times before in our illustrious archive and back catalogue of Lagrange Point episodes, including not one but two, or maybe even three, exam specials where we talk about some of these myths. And we've talked about associative learning where you study in a place with a particular smell or stimuli that helps you trigger your parts of your brain. We've talked about repetition. We've talked about myths. We've talked about freebies and a whole bunch of other stuffs. But now we're going to be talking about smart drugs. So as Lauren's probably alluded to, there's a couple of drugs on the market that uh, claim to be able to boost your studying skills. A common one is Ritalin, which is a, a drug for focusing. that's um, actually used as a treatment for people with ADHD, attention deficit disorder. And that one actually has some very well-known and understood consequences on the brain. And the overuse or over-reliance on that is a real serious problem plaguing US college campuses. Another problem, though, is this new drug that's come out. It's called, called modafinil. And this, the, the literature claims, the sales literature, mind you, that uh, one in five students who have taken the smart drug actually have a real chance at boosting their exam success rates. And people at various universities, including the University of Nottingham's Malaysia campus, led by Dr. Ahmed Dahir Mohammed, thought that this is rubbish and clearly cannot possibly be true. So just in time to be after exams, <laughs> Dr. Ahmed Dahir Mohammed has released this study in the journal Plus One, which is a medical, esteemed medical journal, that actually looked into whether or not this drug could actually help people's brains. Okay, so Justin, how do we test it? Do we get a whole bunch of, like, averagely scoring kids and then feed them the drug every day for a week? <laughs> well, that's pretty much basically what you do. And one of the really important parts about conducting any piece of research is doing what's called a double-blind study. And the reason why you do a double-blind study is you want to try and eliminate placebo effects and any biases that might be inherent in both the administers of the research but also the participants of the research. So, so what's a placebo effect? Right. So a placebo effect is, for instance, if I give you a, a pill, Lauren, and I tell you, if you take this, it will make you incredibly smart and you'll be super amazing at everything you do. Uh, and that pill, in fact, contains nothing. 
and then you start <laughs> feeling better and performing better and having more confidence simply because I gave you a pill, um, then that's basically uh, the placebo effect. And people have found that the placebo effect can actually have some pretty real consequences in both things like pain management, patient response, and a whole bunch of other stuff. You're probably familiar with it with endless children's movies where someone is given a certain special set of shoes or an outfit to wear or something like that and all of a sudden that they, they start performing super great at the sporting thing or conquering dragons or whatever. And then but it inside, turns, out, yeah, turns out the magic was in you the entire time. Exactly. And that is a, a textbook cultural case of the placebo effect really deconstructed but it's a real thing guys like i laugh and we jest about it but it is a serious thing that is often quite useful for doctors and medical practitioners so to eliminate that you do a double blind study so the person doesn't know if they're getting the thing that's working or supposed to be working or not or getting the placebo and the person administering it doesn't know either so when they're looking at the results they're not going oh yeah obviously that response is a positive thing because i gave them the real one <laughs> so it's a it's a kind of a rigorous assessment and they took 32 participants and gave them the actual drug and they gave another 32 absolutely nothing um and then they were given some simple tasks to do uh that basically it's the hailing sentence completion test it's a a standard uh neurological test which they use for a whole bunch of other things uh and it's basically one of the kind of a simple way of universally testing people's responses to a, a, a challenge or a problem. And what they found is that the drug slowed down reaction times substantially and also impaired their ability to, uh, you know, make correct decisions. So there was no net gain and they did it slower. So it basically just made everything worse. Well, pretty much. Look, and it was quite funny that he found this because Dr. Muhammad also points out that, you know, people have been saying, well, look, modafinil actually just slows, delays your ability to initially respond, giving you uh, improved cognitive performance <laughs> by making people less impulsive and giving them time to think. And if you think about that, that kind of sounds almost believable. Fortunately, his science has showed that that is rubbish. <laughs> um, he showed that when a task required instant reactions, the, the drug just basically delayed you for no net benefit like it wouldn't actually change your response or anything it would just mean that you make the response slower yeah pretty much so it's actually really quite interesting that he's just going to advocate that that uh this so-called smart drug um you know doesn't actually have that much of a beneficial impact uh even though it's giving you more time to think and this is building on previous work that uh, Dr. Muhammad has published in September this year in the Journal of Creative Behavior, which definitely sounds like a very interesting medical journal, um, where they also looked at uh, the participants' ability to think outside the box, box and respond creatively. So that was also impaired by this same drug. So not only are your reactions delayed, you also can't think as creatively. So it doesn't matter if you're doing an arts exam or like a fencing exam or a maths exam either way you're stuffed did you say fencing exam yes i said fencing i don't know why that was the first thought <laughs> that came to my mind but clearly i have an insatiable desire to be a 18th century gentleman in a duel <laughs> now it's really kind of interesting that uh you look at this amazing this drug and it's obviously been developed to have some stuff and the question is does this have any benefit? Is there some weird, obscure case of person who would actually gain from using this? Uh, and look, his study basically has come out and said that there there may be some benefit of using psychostimulants similar this to this drug to improve the abilities of people at the lower end of the spectrum of condition. Um, 
But for normal healthy people with a typical brain, this should have no actual benefit to you. It lowers your creative thinking and lateral thinking and makes you do it slower. So really, why bother? Now, the, I think I think the best piece of closing advice uh, from from Dr. Muhammad to make his paper more upbeat and uplifting to everyone involved, <laughs> he came up with a list of non-pharmacological interventions, including meditation, exercise, and good diet on the healthy brain, and measured that using an EEG, uh, which electroencephalograph, those little caps they put on your brain and monitor stuff. And they found that you know, look. If you're a healthy person with a brain function optimum level, you can't really take many drugs or anything else to improve it. Um, but if the brain is still in development, you may be able to improve the cognitive abilities by simply having a positive interaction, a healthy diet, and some mindfulness. So if you're an adult like me, you're stuffed. But if you're young and studying at university or doing your exams, there is hope for you yet. If you treat your body right and treat your brain right, you may actually get more performance out of it rather than pumping it full of questionable drugs, which just make you boring and slower. <laughs> this has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we unravel the mysteries of ghosts and how our senses can be tricked into thinking there is a presence around us. We also talked about smart drugs and if they're actually really helpful to study, and the answer is really no. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.